0: Is everyone got one that wants one? Okay, anybody need uh, pencils or pens? There's some pens and pencils Mm -hmm. in the good Good morning. In light of what is happening today worldwide, I have decided to speak on the topic of God's impending judgments. When we consider carefully all of the evil and debauchery that is proliferating all around us today, we have to come to the conclusion that sooner or later all of this is not going to end very well. When those who are in authority and power over us scream for abortion rights, transgender rights, and unbridled sexual perversion rights, while at the same time attacking and destroying our God-given religious rights, we know that the end is near. God's heart is aching for the millions of children that are being murdered in the womb and the countless other million of children that are sold into sex trafficking and so on. Do we really think that God's patience and long-suffering is never going to run out? And so with these thoughts in mind, I would like for us to once again look at the judgments of God that are presented for us in Scripture and how each one of them impacts every living soul for all of eternity. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, verse 14, we read the following. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And then in the New Testament, we are also reminded in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And just to make sure that the student of scriptures doesn't overlook its importance, the Holy Spirit has included a most frightening reminder of the judgment of God in the final book of the Bible in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. But before we examine that particular passage, I would like for us to look at three other distinct judgments mentioned in Scripture and why they are so necessary to the overall plan of God. And so the very first one that I would like to tackle in the New Testament is the judgment of the believer's sins. In other words, the judgment of sin at the cross of Calvary. Because Eve disobeyed God's commandment in the garden to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And because she gave to her husband, Adam, to also eat of the forbidden fruit, sin entered the human race. And as a consequence, it separated man from God and from having fellowship with him. Sin marred the image of man, for we are told that we were created in the likeness and image of God in Genesis 1 Twenty six. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female, created he him them Seven times the Bible tells us that God created us in his image or likeness Genesis 126 Genesis 127 repeated twice Genesis five three Genesis 9, 6, 1 Corinthians eleven seven, Colossians 3, 10, Seven times, God's number. And God does not want us to forget that. But sin has destroyed all of that. Sin has ruined every vestige of our original creation. Where there was originally intimacy and fellowship with God, there became rebellion and separation from God. Where there was innocence and peace with God, there became guilt and war with God. Where there was once tranquility of mind and soul with God, there became great confusion. And where there was once great prosperity of mind and soul and spirit and great blessings because of the presence of God, there became great anxiety of mind and and spirit, and a void in the soul that could never be filled with anything but the presence of God. Where man was in the beginning programmed for good, now his nature is ruined by sin and is programmed for evil. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we are told in Romans three twenty three. And then in Romans three ten to twelve, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then we hear from the Lord's own lips in Matthew nineteen seventeen. There is none good but one, that is God. Because man is sin-ruined, he is in a destructive mode. Hatred, violence, envy, murder, adultery, malice, lying, dishonor, immorality without measure, wars, diseases, famines, pestilence, and so on, are eating away at his soul destroying him bit by bit until there is nothing left of him that even remotely resembles his intended image. He is in a state of helplessness and hopelessness to do anything to save himself from complete destruction. But God, and oh how I love that phrase, but God commendeth his love toward us in that While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 And then in John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his Son to die in our place god punished his own son for our sins why because god who is holy righteous and just and cannot will not dares not tolerate sin and so god by his mercy and grace a long time ago declared that the wages of sin is death and that the whole human race is declared guilty so that the whole human race might be pardoned, might be saved in the same manner, and that is through the death of his Son, who shed his own perfect and sinless blood on the cross of Calvary as the just price for the penalty of all of our sins. Christ took God's punishment And judgment on the cross of Calvary during those three horrible hours of darkness. It was there that the Son of God, who was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of of the world, took away our sins. He was separated in those awful hours for our sakes, so that we might never be separated from God our Savior anymore. He bore the wrath and judgment of God that we might go free. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. And so it is the justice of God that demands just punishment for rebellion against him. And a just payment for sin is the requirement, death. But it was the mercy and grace and love of God that had prepared a suitable sacrifice for that penalty, even before the foundation of the world. Because God is love, his plan included a means of redemption for his beloved creation. And that plan was the cross of Calvary. So the first great judgment mentioned in New Testament scripture and foreshadowed for thousands of years in the Old Testament is the cross where all the sins of the whole world were judged once and for all never to be brought up again. Oh, dear friends, we will never know fully this side of heaven just how much it cost God the Father to give his only begotten Son to be our sacrifice on that old rugged cross that we often sing about. Make no mistake about it. There is no other means of salvation for fallen mankind but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the Cal- Calvary's cross. All of the main religions of the world claim to have benefits and some even purport to give salvation to its members. But that is a false hope. That is Satan's deception. The Bible clearly teaches in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. Notice, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And one day we are told in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus there is a day coming when every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So then after the cross, There is no more sacrifice for sin. Either, dear friends, your sins have been completely paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, upon hearing the gospel of Christ, have trusted him as your very own savior. Or you are still dead in trespasses and sin. And headed to a Christless eternity. Please do not be deceived that God may accept you in some other way through some other false religion. For the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus himself made that perfectly clear in John fourteen six, when he said to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father that is unto God but by me. Then the second judgment that I'd like to discuss this morning, and it's not in the chronological order, this is actually the third one that's mentioned in Scripture, but we're going to deal with this one next. It is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15, it's often called the Bema Seat, or the be my judgment seat, where only true believers must one day stand before Christ, that is after the rapture, to give an account for their service for him. Now this is something that behooves all of us who are Christians, because this judgment will take place in heaven immediately after the rapture but before Christ's physical return with the church to this earth. Here, all that was done in the name of Christ will be judged to see whether it was good or bad. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, a solemn warning to all Christians. Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ "...that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad." Oh, dear friends, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, to be a Christian, to be part of the body of Christ. But we must never forget that we were saved for a purpose. We were saved so that we could serve the one who saved us. We were never saved just so that we might enjoy life more fully, even though that is what so many teach today. We were saved so that we might now live on to Christ and be witnesses for him, not only by our verbal testimony and proclaiming the way of salvation but by our very devotion to him in our hearts. Though many are saved, few ever give their hearts to the Savior. Few ever give him the rightful place in their lives. Few ever come to know him, as the Apostle Paul did in Philippians 3, 7-10, when he wrote, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 17, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to explain this. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort It is, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now please listen very carefully to the next two verses, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now Paul begins by telling the Corinthian church that every man must take heed how he builds the church. Verse 10. In other words, they must be careful how they preach the word. They must preach the truth of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and not allow unbiblical, worldly, or carnal things to come in to defile the work that the Spirit is doing. Unfortunately, today, it is becoming more and more prevalent in the churches that unconverted people are being brought into the churches, hurting and hindering the work of Christ. Our building up of the church through the Spirit of God must be scriptural. Our foundation is Christ, and we, as his servants, ought to be building a life, a character that will stand the test of what is coming In the future, notice please in verse 13, we are told that every man's work will be tried by fire to see what sort it is. It is the character of our work that is important. The motives that lie behind our service that counts. All the secret reasons why we did or did not do such and such a thing will be revealed. There is a beautiful illustration of this from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14, verses 3 to 9, where a woman with an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very costly, very precious, breaks it open and pours the ointment on our Lord's head, in a symbolic gesture to anoint his body for the burying. Well, we all remember the reaction of those who witnessed this. The Lord's own disciples murmured about the waste, that it perhaps should have been put to better use to feed the poor, for example. But what did the Lord say? What did he think of all of this? After all, that is the only thing that matters, isn't it? What does the Lord think? And so he said in verse 8, she has done what she could. Oh, dear friends, I, I trust that what the Lord will be able to say to each one of us someday, he or she hath done what he or she could. She hath done what she could. There is another illustration in scripture that may serve to clarify the point as well. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18. We remember that one too, don't we? Of where King Solomon tells how his father David wanted to build a temple to the Lord, but God would not allow him to do so. Nevertheless, the Lord spoke these precious words to David as recorded for us in 1 kings chapter 8 verse 18 thou didst well that it was in thine heart oh how these words should encourage our hearts perhaps there are some who have been confined to beds of sickness because of a debilitating disease but in his or her weakness wrote letters of encouragement or continued to offer prayers of intercession on behalf of the unsaved and saved alike. If done for Christ, Christ will say, she hath done what she could. Perhaps there are some wives out there or mothers or husbands or fathers or sons or daughters who had to give up their dreams of serving Christ in the mission field or in a church pulpit. Because of their circumstances of caring for an aged mother or a sick father or providing for the needs of family because there was no one else to do it, take heart. The Lord knows the circumstances to those who may think that they have missed the life and opportunity that they could have had because they looked after their loved ones instead or the mothers who diligently cared for their children, their husbands, their households and did not seem to do anything exciting in the way of service for the Lord. Take heart. To them the Lord will say, if it was done in faithful obedience to his word, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. But then we come to verses 16 and 17 in 1 Corinthians 3. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? which temple ye are? Of whom is the Apostle Paul speaking here? I believe he is referring to those who are the enemies of God's truth, those who try to destroy Christ's church, those who seek to ruin the work of the Lord, men who from the outside creep in. Oh, dear friends, it is a frightening thing to think of what God will do to those who profess to be servants of Christ and ministers of the word but despise this book, which we call the Bible, and deny every fundamental truth of Holy Scripture. But yet because of money's sake, they get into the pulpits of even Orthodox churches And instead of building up the church, they are destroying the temple of God. To them, the scripture says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Now, before we leave this passage, I would like to also clarify a little misunderstanding often associated with this passage in verses 16 to 17. Some have taken this to mean the temple of the human body and that if a Christian were to fall into some sinful habit that defiled this body such as drinking, taking drugs, sexual sins, and so on, that God would destroy him or her. Paul is talking about the temple that is being built upon the one foundation, the church of the living God. But dear friends, do not be deceived. If you do indulge in any bad habit, no matter how secretly, that injures the body of Christ, you will have to answer for that as well. So we need to be ever mindful that our walk matches our talk. There is nothing more devastating to one's family, especially to the children, than the sin of hypocrisy. We need to make sure daily that all our words are honest and truthful to the best of our ability, that all of our promises are kept, that all of our responsibilities before God as a husband or as a wife or as a child or as a servant or as a master are kept to the best of our ability with the intent to honor and glorify Christ. If it isn't, then disaster is sure to follow as many Christian homes have discovered. Now then, what is the purpose of this particular judgment? For God always has a purpose in doing what he is doing. The purpose of all judgment mentioned in Scripture is a vindication of God's character. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, Just and right is he. Job declared about the Lord in Job 37.23, Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment, and in plenty of justice, he will not afflict. Then Psalm 89 tells us, justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne, while Isaiah describes the Lord as a just God and a Savior, and then in Isaiah forty-five twenty-one, as well. It is one of God's attributes that he is just and righteous. The Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew 16:27, "For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father and with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Because God is just, All men, whether good or bad, will receive their due reward. God's justice is central to his nature. And in all his judgments, God is always impartial. He judges the cause. Man often judges the person and not the cause of his sin, which is not justice, but malice. But because He is God, He weighs all the circumstances in the balance, nothing is missed, no evidence is omitted. And the Lord Jesus clearly teaches this in John 8:16, "And yet I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me." And then in Revelation 16 seven and Revelation, 19:2 twice we are told true and righteous are thy judgments so god is a god of justice and due rewards and he must exercise his divine prerogative and judge according to every man's works sooner or later so at the judgment seat of christ after the rapture all true born-again Christians will be judged according to their service or good works. God will determine whether that service was built with gold, silver, or precious stones. If so, there will be reward. But if that service was built with wood, hay, and stubble, then there will be a loss. One salvation will never be an issue salvation has always been a free gift. No one can ever lose their salvation if they were genuinely saved in the first place because it was always a gift of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Oh, dear friends, where will you stand in all of this? Will you suffer loss when His fires of judgment try your works? How have you been building the church? Is it with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or is it with shoddy workmanship and faulty materials with wood, hay, and stubble? Will you and will I stand ashamed before him that day when it is all over? Or will you and I be told, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Matthew twenty-five twenty-three. Oh, I trust that it will all be the latter. And then for our final look at a, another judgment in our message this morning, and I apologize for the length is mentioned in the New Testament scriptures one that is often missed or ignored the judgment of self let's turn briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 27 to 32 and then we'll also look at 1 Peter 4:17 in connection with 1 Corinthians 11:27 to 32 1 Corinthians 11 27 to 32, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the lord's body for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep for if we would judge ourselves we should not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened of the lord that we should not be condemned with the world and then in 1 peter 4:17 for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of god And if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? We in the assemblies are greatly privileged and blessed to be able to weekly come together and break bread and remember fondly what the Lord has done for us on the cross of Calvary. But with that privilege also comes a very heavy responsibility to worship him in truth and in spirit and to not partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Please notice that the Apostle Paul mentions that word twice in this passage, verses 27 and 29. Now the word is unworthily, not unworthy. Unworthily is an adverb, while unworthy is an adjective. If it were unworthy, none of us would be able to partake, because none of us would be worthy. There is only one who is worthy, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. But the word is unworthily, an adverb which describes how. In what manner? In an unworthy manner. In an unworthy behavior. If we come to the table of the Lord thinking about all sorts of nonsense, the weekend fun, the cook, uh, the work or cooking uh, from the garden uh, that has to be done, the excitement of a sports game, uh, some future event then when we partake of the bread and the cup, we are doing so in an unworthily manner. We are not thinking of the Savior of whom they are speaking about, but rather just going through the motions. Or perhaps we have not prepared in the least for the Lord's table during the last few previous days. We have not spent time in the word, we have not communed with him in prayer, and as a result we have nothing to offer him. We sit motionless and empty, or perhaps we have had a serious rift between ourselves and loved ones, or a neighbor, or a friend, and have not made it right, and then come to the Lord's table with an unrepentant heart. That is partaking unworthily. We can go on and on. And Paul was very, very concerned about those who were brand new Christians who were not really well taught in the word and had some baggage from their previous life. And so then many of them were found sickly and dying. And so Paul had to straighten out these things For their sakes. But then. The question has been asked. Well. I know I've had a problem with my neighbor. We've been at odds and ends. So do I. Absent myself. From the Lord's table. Not. If you are a Christian. You need to be there. We need to be there. Notice what verse 28 says. It says, let a man examine himself. Notice that we are to examine ourselves, our conduct, our words, our deeds, our attitudes, not anyone else's. And if there is something that needs to be fixed, then we need to do it or if it is at all possible. Sometimes there's a situation that cannot be fixed. We have to leave it with the Lord, ask for his grace, and carry on. If we can't bring ourselves to that point, then we need to pass the elements by. Otherwise, the scriptures say, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. If this is not done accordingly, the consequences, says Paul, are very, uh, very serious. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The sad thing is that many today have neglected the warnings of Scripture. The warnings of conduct when we come to church, when we worship the Lord. And sometimes sickness is one way which the Lord chastens his people. Many a young Christian may have gone many years without recognizing the Lord's authority over his or her life, and then sickness comes. And for many months, or maybe even years, That dear one has been laid aside. At first, one may ask, why do I have to suffer like this? Instead of, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through all of this? At other times, perhaps Christians, even very mature ones, may be in a state of ill repute and in danger of completely ruining the testimony for Christ with no desire to repent from his or her sins, the Lord may take that Christian home through death. And so sometimes early death is an evidence of the Lord's discipline. Oh, well, dear friends, do you see how serious a matter this is to take the things of Christ lightly, to ignore his warnings, to rebel against the one who paid such a tremendous price for our salvations? We, as followers of Christ, need to constantly evaluate how we live, how we worship, how we conduct ourselves, and if we are to be used of God to glorify the Savior. Again, I apologize for the length of our message, but as always, I must ask you this before I step down from this platform. Have all of your sins been judged on the cross of Calvary? Have you recognized your need of a Savior? And in response to that need, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your sin bearer based on his work and merits of Calvary's cross? So many today are still depending on their own good works. But if perchance you haven't, or are not sure. Won't you accept him now while there is still yet time? For God is a righteous God and cannot allow sin to go unjudged. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16 31. Let's pray. Father, again we thank Thee for Thy divinely preserved Word of God. And we must confess that this message was a very unpleasant one. We're not pleased when we hear messages on sin and judgment and damnation. But Lord, out of Thy mercy and grace, Thou hast included all of these warnings Because thou carest for our souls, and thou dost not want a single soul to end up in a lost eternity. And so, Father, we thank thee for thy word, and we thank thee for all thy faithful servants who have, at the risk of their own lives and reputation, dared to testify for the Lord Jesus and to present the other side of the coin as well, that if they will not accept the love of God, they must accept the justice of God. We thank thee for this morning in bringing us all here safely and ask thee to now be pleased to part us with thy blessing. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together round his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Mm -hmm.